Hello and welcome to the Sovereign Collective Podcast, where we bring you real raw truth for your self-empowerment. I'm your host, Sasha Calavota, and I believe that you can stand on your own two feet, but that you don't have to do it alone. I love learning from people who continually strive to raise the bar, to go against mainstream thinking, and who dare to question the general consensus. People are risking ridiculed or even risk the loss of their professional status as they bravely question the common narratives and challenge the rest of us to expand our minds and to reconsider what we think we already know. Join me in learning how to take control of your health and your mind so that you can have the energy to think more clearly and the confidence to step up and take responsibility for all aspects of your life. We promise to never censor here because I believe you are strong enough to hear the real raw truth to make up your own mind. If you like what you find here at the Sovereign Collective Podcast, then please share with your friends and family. And please also consider making a small donation on my Patreon page so that I can continue to bring you amazing content so that we can all create a better future. I so appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on to the show. Hi, y'all. This is Sasha here for two quick announcements before we get on to our interview for today. First of all, if you are looking for quality supplements, quality tonic herbs, some specialty food items, and you're in and around Calgary, then please go check out Lotus Herbal Health, a great family-run store that has two locations in Calgary. You can find them at lotusherbalhealth.ca to find out where their locations are, or you can shop online and they will pretty much deliver anywhere. So quality supplements, tonic herbs, great staff, check out lotusherbalhealth.ca. Secondly, I want to announce the relaunch of my program called Your Conscious Pregnancy and Parenting Guide, which consists of experts in their fields around the world on consciousness and parenting and education and nutrition and dentistry and homeopathy and more. This is a program I created after my son was born about 10 years ago, a little bit more than that. And I am now very concerned after the events of 2020 for our future generations. And I believe the time is now for conscious parenting and for conscious parents to rise up and take, to take back our pregnancies and our births and our parenting and the resilience of our children and of future generations. The time is now. We change the course of history by changing the course of our future generations. And we do that by consciously raising them, consciously birthing them, consciously conceiving them, feeding them good food, and taking back the responsibility of raising healthy, well-adjusted, robust people. Resilience. It's time to build resilience. So please go check out sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide, sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide and you will be able to check out all of the amazing material in there. And for now, at the time of this recording, it is at the ridiculous price of 47 US dollars. It will be at that price for a little while longer, but not for too long. So this is January, 2021, when I'm recording this. So if you, you are hearing this much later, it won't be that price anymore. But if you've heard this earlier, it is that price. And it is well, well worth it. It's time for us to understand how our worldviews are formed, how our self-views are formed, and how to impact that and how that impacts the society on a whole. So check it out, sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide. And now on to the show. 
Hi, everyone. It's Sasha here with another interview for the Sovereign Collective podcast. And today I am here with Dr. Bob Dixon. He's quite a warrior in our city of Calgary for a very important cause. So let's get into, first of all, a little bit about his bio, and then we'll tell you about what we're talking about today. So Dr. Bob, he's the past and present, he's the past president of Change for Children, past president tools for peace, and past chair of the board of directors of Arusha Cross-Cultural Centre. He was a senior partner with Results Canada with the mandate to end starvation, debilitating diseases and poverty globally in support of Millennium Deve Development Goals for many years. He was instrumental with Results Canada in mandating that maternal and child health be the signature initiative of the 2010 G8 G20 Forum in Toronto and in the ensuing announcements of $1.1 billion and later $3.4 billion for maternal and child health committed by the Canadian government for these programs as well the volunteers with Medical Mercy Canada, sorry, as well he volunteers with Medical Mercy Canada, most recently in Thailand, with the Burmese refugees and in Nepal, and is on the board of the Four World Centre for International Development. Dr. Dixon co-led the anti-fluoridation program in Calgary from 1999, which resulted in water fluoridation being halted in 2011. It took a long time for that, and continues to actively volunteer with the issue of artificial water fluoridation. He is the founder of Safe Water Calgary and launched their new website, www.safewatercalgary.com in 2017. Dr. Bob has actively partnered with Project Ishkanan. Am I saying that right? Ishkanan? Ishkanan. Ishkanan. Okay. Since 2003 to rebuild and support the remote village of El Remate. I'm going to say this wrong. Remate in the Pitan province of northeastern Guatemala. He has worked diligently on climate change issues with 4C, Calgary Citizens on Climate Change, since 2015, meeting and interacting frequently with elected officials and senior administrators in the Calgary Civic and Provincial New Democratic Party governments. 4C hosted a successful federal climate change forum, has authored white papers on climate issues, and brought George Marshall from Climate Outreach in the UK to Calgary for a series of workshops to promote respectful communication. So Dr. Bob, you're a father, you're a warrior, you're a doctor, you are, I also, you were a family physician, yes? And semi-retired, retired now? I still am a family physician, still licensed in the province of Alberta. I retired from my family practice about seven years ago in Market Mall, and uh, I still work minor emergency and walk-in um, when I am in Calgary. Yeah. Okay. It's a fairly good job because I just work uh, usually one day a week, and then I get four months off in the winter to go somewhere warmer like Mexico, where I am now. Nice, nice. Well, life is good. Well, you've been very active, very busy, very intentional, it seems. So thank you for sharing your time with me today on this very important topic of water fluoridation, a topic that we are faced with again in Calgary. It just keeps yes. coming okay. back. I don't understand it, but here we are again. So you're an important figure in this plight for safe water. So thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for having me, Sasha. Much appreciated. We have to get oh. the word out. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So let's talk. Okay, so before you've got some points you want to make, you've got a, a we're going to for the people that are listening today, we're also going to have a presentation that you can find on YouTube, but I'll provide the link somewhere for it, I think, so you can access it as well if you want to see it for yourself. But before we get into these points around water fluoridation, I just want to get into a little bit about the history of fluoridation, why it came to be, where it came from, when it all started, and then we can go from there. So can you enlighten us on the history of water fluoridation? I can do that. Actually, we wouldn't have to do any of that. All we have to do is uh, just say one thing, follow the money. 
And if you do that, you can understand everything about water fluoridation and why it's still here. Mm. Anyway, just a brief history. Um, so it goes back into the 1930s, really. And uh, at that point, uh, there was a discovery that um, people had brown teeth in somewhere in Colorado and uh, a dentist discovered that and found out that actually it was fluoride, natural fluoride in the water that was causing these brown teeth and these brown teeth actually had fewer cavities. And so that morphed into uh, the aluminum industry at the time in the late 1930s having a problem with hydrofluorosilicic acid, which is a waste product scrubbed out of their stacks or supposed to be scrubbed out of their, their stacks. At that point, it was making a lot of people ill and sick and also the animals and plants around their factories were getting ill and sick. Um, so the aluminum industry needed a way to whitewash fluoride. And so they partnered with um, these dentists and, uh, and decided that they would put their waste product into public water. And uh, the mainstay of that program developed through the latter 1940s with some studies that were in both Canada and the US. And they cherry picked the information from that, manipulated the studies. And by 1950, the early 1950s, there was actually edicts coming out across Canada and the United States that this was one of the best things ever that's ever happened for children and for dental health. And um, so, Edward Bernays, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that name, Edward Bernays, he was the grandson of um, Sigmund Freud. And he was the propagandist um, master of the 20th century. He actually wrote the book called Propaganda. And it was Edward Bernays, B-E-R-N-A-Y-S, who um, actually convinced doctors and dentists that smoking was good for women, especially when they're pregnant. That's sort of the 1930s. Very successful with that, so they hired him for the fluoridation program. And he said off the record at one point that the easiest thing that he ever did in his entire propaganda career, and he was very successful at it, was to convince doctors and dentists that fluoride and fluoridation was good for children. And that has persisted. That's been the mainstay of the program since the 1950s. So um, fast forward a little bit, um, we've had in Calgary, six referendums about fluoride or plebiscites, as they're now called. Uh, the first one was started, I believe it was in 1957. So in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, we had four plebiscites that defeated water fluoridation, narrowly, not by much, but they did defeat it. And then we had two that passed it, the first in 1989 and the second in 1998. So the first um, one that passed fluoridation by, uh, I believe it was 53 to 47%, actually um, ended up two years later in fluoride being put into Calgary's water in 1991. So it was the first time Calgary had been fluoridated. It was 1991. It took them two years to build all the infrastructure. It's very, it's highly toxic. And so it has to be very carefully put together and distributed. Edmonton, on the other hand, has been fluoridated since 1967, Red Deer since 1959, Lethbridge since uh, around the same time as Edmonton, 67. So a um, number of the of Alberta cities still are fluoridated. Those three for sure, Grand Prairie as well is still fluoridated. But if you look across Canada, uh, less than 40% of Canadians are fluoridated as opposed to about 74% of Americans in the United States uh, wow. that are fluoridated. They have about twice the number per capita fluoridated as we do. So um, 1998, we were still fluoridated in Calgary and there's a lot of activism going on on the streets in the grassroots. And um, so another plebiscite was called 
and also an expert panel was, uh, was struck at that time. And if you ask the pro-fluoridationists to, to put together an expert panel, guess what's gonna to happen to the outcome? If you ask the anti-fluoridationists, if you ask me, if you ask many of the scientists that are involved in the Safe Water or Anti-Fluoride Program to put together an expert panel, guess what had happened? It would never be in. So anyway, the expert panel recommended that we continue fluoridating, but just lower the concentration a little bit. And um, that, uh, that was the last we heard for quite some time. Um, I actually voted for water fluoridation in 1948 as a family doctor. I had so many things on my plate and I wasn't able to, to study everything that came across. So I trusted the, the authorities, the powers that be, the medical and provincial officers of health. And they had very glitzy presentations and pamphlets and whatever promoting fluoridation is the next best thing to slice bread. And so I voted for it. Afterwards, friends came to me and said, why did you do that, Dr. Bob? And I went, well, I trusted the authorities. And they said, well, have you looked at the literature? And I said, not so much. And they said, well, you probably should. So I took that as a personal challenge and I looked at the literature and essentially said, OMG, uh, when I was <laughs> finished. I said, how could we ever be doing anything like that to our general public and to our children and even to unborn children? Um, so um, I said, well, what do I do now? Um, I should do something about this. I can't, can't just let this rest now that I know what's happening. So I took it to Dr. James Beck, Dr. Jim Beck, my dear friend, who's now retired from the University of Calgary. He was one of my profs in the 1980s in medical school yeah. in Calgary. And I went to Jim and said, Jim, would you mind having a look at this? You're a PhD, MD, you know, you're a researcher, you know a lot more about this sort of thing than I do. And he said, oh, I'm glad they do that, Bob. He was retired then, so we had lots of time. And so a couple of weeks later, I went back to him and uh, Jim said, gosh, Bob, how, you know, basically he said, OMG, the same thing as me. And <laughs> how could we ever be doing this? And uh, so I said, well, Jim, why don't we kind of team up and see if we can do something about this? And he said, no problem. He said, we should have this done in a few months. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, long story short, it took us to 2011 to get it turned off in Calgary, along with a lot of our grassroots activists as well. And, and we're not taking sole credit for it. But we, we led the city council side, the sort of professional side, meeting with the deans of medical schools and the medical officers of health and such. What and, year did um, you start it in again? What year was that? 1998, did you say? 1999 is when we first started, when I talked to Dr. Beck and we started our program. So after voting for it in 98, a year later, we started our program. Yeah. And we persisted. Jim did the majority of the work. Um, I was his uh, right-hand man, so to speak. And um, uh, we got the taps turned off, the fluoride taps turned off in 2011. City Council has been taking a lot of flack for that ever since. And um, so the pro-fluoridation is, uh, I've been working since about 2013, working very actively and aggressively to uh, get fluoride back in our water to turn on the fluoridation taps again. So are these so, people that are profiting from that or they're regulators or is, it's not the people of Calgary, is it? Like who are the ones that are giving them flack? It's um, primarily Calgarians for Kids Health, which is a euphemistically named organization led by Julia Gishon, who's a ethicist at the University of Calgary and at the medical school. She's put together this group of lawyers and dentists and engineers and whatever. Um, they're, they're registered as a charity. They get a lot of funding from some of the wealthier folks in Calgary. And, uh, and they are the ones that have been putting out some of the street signs. You might have seen uh, those portable billboards that say, 
city council, Calgary's kids, their teeth are falling out of their heads, put fluoride back in our water and other such things. Wow. Wow. So they've been the main ones that are pressuring city council. And uh, Juliet gets, if you've seen any of the op-eds or edit opinion pieces in the Calgary Herald and other papers, um, that's her. She's getting a lot of press with uh, the radio and TV organizations uh, as well. And uh, just she's just a buzzsaw, very persistent. And uh, so she gets a lot of press and puts out a lot, unfortunately, a lot of false information. Uh, things says things like I could drink 10 swimming pools worth of fluoride and it wouldn't even affect me. And oh, well, it wouldn't affect her because she'd be dead. <laughs> she wouldn't have any disabled. <laughs> Wow. But, you know, stuff like that that's just so erroneous, and she just pulls things out of thin air, and um, it's very sad. She's also taken me to the College of Physicians and Surgeons, trying to take my license away, along with um, with other members of her group. Wow. And so that is ongoing for the last two years now, and very stressful. Um, you know, if someone threatens to take your livelihood away and something you've worked at for 40 years, <laughs> um, it's, it's hard. Of course. So... Um, Anyway, that's, uh, that kind of encapsulates what's happening in Calgary. 2017, they tried to get it back on the initiative with our uh, civic election, that failed. And um, then 2019, they snuck it into city council and uh, got the ball rolling there. And uh, that ended up in the O'Brien Institute of Public Health and Dr. William Golly leading a review of all the fluoride literature and making and putting a major report into the city of Calgary. And, July of 2019. And a week before that, we put our Safe Water Calgary report in. Both, both reports are, are very good. They're, they're both worth reading. They're both in the tw about 20, 20 some pages long. And they're, they're both available on our safewatercalgary.com website. Safewatercalgary.com. Okay. Okay. And so, so sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that's that's basically the history. Unless you want to know anything more in detail about the history, if not, I'll go into our our basic facts and figures about water fluoridation. So we are just to to bring us up to today. We are facing another plebiscite this year. I heard somebody say that it might not even go to plebiscite; that it might be just voted on in council, which is a horrifying proposition. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but somebody who knows one of the yeah. councils suggested this might be the case, which I find is a terrifying proposition I mean, absolutely and you should be terrified by that because it's voting to whether you can medicate your neighbor or not and yes. you can medicate which is totally uh entirely unethical and um it's just lacking absolutely. in so many um, absolutely scientific and whatever basis so yeah um so in October of 2019, we had a major forum, uh, about a 12-hour forum at City Hall with city councillors, and I flew in people from different parts of North America, really real true experts. Dr. Galley presented his report from the O'Brien Institute of Public Health at that time to city council. And out of that came a motion to, um, to one, um, determine whose jurisdiction fluoridation was. Is it civic, is it provincial, or is it federal? And the second part, I mean, I can tell you that in, in five seconds, the, the jurisdiction is civic, it always has been, and uh, province and feds don't want to have anything to do with it if possible. Mm. Although there's a lot of pressure for them to do so. And uh, the second part is how much is it going to cost? Well, back in 2011, that was one of the reasons we got it turned off in 2011, because it was going to cost $6 million to, um, to rebuild the infrastructure that fluoride Whoa. eats through and wears out. And... Um, so we thought well, it would probably be $6 million. Well, they did. They um, hired us uh, an external consultant 
to do a study. And that external consultant came out with a figure of $30 million over the next um, 10 or, or so years to uh, reinstate, um, to rebuild all the fluoride infrastructure in our two major water plants and uh, to do all the training and all the ancillary materials to buy the industrial scrubber waste from the fertilizer industry in Florida or China and, uh, and just to keep the whole system rolling. Wow. So um, uh, I think it's over 20 years uh, amortized. So yeah, $30 million to put it back in. So that's what city council actually looked at last month. And then this month they, uh, they actually came up again and uh, they voted not to restart fluoridation, which they could have done just carte blanche. They could have started it and said, yep, um, you know, two weeks ago, I think it was, they voted on that. They could have said, we're starting it tomorrow. And um, it would have taken a couple of years to rebuild it again, but um, they could have voted to do that without any public mandate, um, even though the first floor four plebiscites, as I mentioned, defeated it and the last two passed it. You know, plebiscites are not binding to anybody at any given right. time. Really? So they could have voted to reinstate it there or they could have voted to do nothing uh, or they could have um, voted to have a plebiscite. And so they decided to take the easy way out. Plebiscite is basically, they're washing their hands of it. City council does not have anything to do with fluoridation anymore until October election. Probably half the councillors will be gone by that point, and the new council will have to deal with it starting in November of this year, because hmm. it will be an issue. And they, they won't have to deal with it. Well, they'll still have to deal with it no matter what the vote is. So um, medicine by plebiscite, as mentioned, is a very poor way to do medicine. It's medicating, it's voting to medicate your neighbor, your family, your friends, people you don't know, and um, it's highly unethical. So if it passed, which they have on their side, the pro-fluoridationists have the money, they have the press, totally have the press, and um, they have um, probably the majority of the public right now, I'd say 53 to 55% to be voted right now would vote for it because people just don't know. But um, we have the science, we have the common sense, and um, we have the little David fighting Goliath. So um, we have a... A lot of energy and <laughs> okay well there's other issues that seem to have the science and the common sense and they're still battling but we won't get into other things okay well good well why don't we get into your presentation then we can see what kind of what facts and figures okay. with us so i'm just gonna just gonna run through some um, water fluoridation basics here and they are available on our website safewatercalgary.com as well and um basically they are all citizens have the right to safe, clean and unmedicated water. So that's a basic human right. And we should all be standing up for that. And for other reasons too, at this particular time in our history. Mm -hmm. um, fluoride itself is highly toxic. So it's not ethical to force a toxic substance on people, no matter which way you do it. Um, people can use their toothpaste or fluoride varnishes or rinses or whatever, but to mass medicate everybody with fluoridation denies the right of choice and informed consent. If you come to me as a doctor, I have to inform you what I'm going to possibly treat you with, and you have to agree to that. A well, very important point. Get there quickly, so people say, "Well, it's in our toothpaste. It's in the, the dentist gives me fluoride trays. How could it be toxic if they're doing that? How how can you say that it's toxic, Doctor Bob?" Because you don't you don't swallow it, you spit it out, you rinse it out. The dentist tell you to thoroughly rinse two or three times. Um, you rinse after you swallow or after you brush your your teeth. You have your kids not swallow their bubblegum flavored toothpaste. 
highly toxic. And in my PowerPoint that I'll show a little bit later, there's a picture of a tube of toothpaste that explains that point quite well. Okay. So very important, fluoride is not necessary for one single body function, not necessary for anything. If Elon Musk, Musk took all the fluoride to Mars, we'd have a much happier planet because Elon Musk would be gone, but also because <laughs> fluoride in um, so fluoride delivers it. It's a very poor way to deliver medicine. It's like swallowing a pill if you can put something on your skin. If you swallow the pill to treat this thing on your skin or in your ear, um, it goes to every organ, every cell, every system in the body to reach that ear or that thing on your skin. So if you can put something topically on your skin or put a drop in your ear to treat an ear infection, it's much better than taking a pill that treats your entire body. And so fluoride, um, since it's swallowed, fluoridation is swallowed, um, it affects every cell, every organ, every system in the body. So it crosses the blood-brain barrier, so it gets into the brain, it's highly neurotoxic. It crosses the placental barrier, so it affects the unborn baby. While the baby's developing in the mother, it affects that baby. And that is highly important. And the, the, the profluoridationists just do not ever address that, but it's being proven more and more with the new science. And again, I'll address that in the PowerPoint if we have time for that. So, Another highly important point that the fluoridationists do not address is that when medicine is delivered by water, there is no control of dose or dosage. Do you understand what I'm saying there? I think so, because we're all drinking the same glass of water, but we have babies and adults all drinking that same amount of water. All. Very good. Very, very, the same amount of fluoride. Right, same amount. So you, so you have a better understanding of this than the experts that are on the pro-fluoride side. So <laughs> they, can, they control the concentration. And, and that, that's a good thing. I mean, you don't want to have a concentration that's all over the map. So the concentration has come down from 1.2 parts per million to one part per million to 0.8 parts per million. Now it's 0.7 parts per million. Some places are advocating for 0.6 parts per million. We have naturally calcium fluoride in our bow river and elbow rivers of 0.1 to 0.3 essentially parts per million. But that's calcium fluoride, which is maybe bound a bit more tightly and isn't released so much in the human body. They are putting in hydrofluorosic acid out of the fertilizer stacks, as I mentioned, the scrubber waste stacks in Florida and, um, and China. And that comes along with other things like arsenic and lead and mercury and strontium and bromium and other unsavory things at trace doses, but they still bioaccumulate in the body. But when we're, if you come to me as a doctor, I'm going to give you a specific dose for your specific body weight. So a person that weighs, you're probably say 100 pounds, if a person weighs 200 pounds, um, they need a different dosage than you. Right. So the dose that we get is, as you mentioned, the amount that we swallow per glass of water. That's the dose that you get. So it might be you know, one milligram, two milligrams, whatever per day. Uh, the dosage is the amount of milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So if you drink 10 glasses of water and I drink 10 glasses of water, you're getting twice the dosage because you're half my weight. Right. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And as you alluded to, babies get a much higher dose because if they're drinking a fair bit of water and they do drink a lot when they're, when they're babies and infants, um, if they're drinking a lot of water, they're getting a much higher dosage. So as, as you go down in size of people, you're, you're getting much higher dosages as you get smaller and smaller, and particularly babies, infants, and then the placenta as well. Mm -hmm. And in uh, breast milk, um, uh, there's virtually no fluoride in there. But babies that are fed um, formula from fluoridated water, 
get up to 200 times the amount of fluoride as is in mother's breast milk. Wow. Important point. So as we alluded to earlier, there's much better ways. If you, if you do believe in fluoride and you want fluoride, put it in the city water, no one has choice. But if you brush your teeth with it, you have choice. If you go to your dentist and get a rinse or a gel or a foam or whatever and spit it out afterwards, um, that's your choice again. So there's so many good ways to get fluoride, even supplements from the doctor that are super cheap. If you believe in fluoride and want fluoride, you can have it. But to mandate that everybody should have it is absolutely wrong. Mm -hmm. If you look at the, the, the pro-fluoridations, particularly Calgarians for Kids Health, they're making it sound like Calgary is an exception. Like we were just these stupid people and stupid council that took this wonderful, safe and effective treatment out of our city water. And everybody else in the world is doing this. That is abjectly false because over 97%, actually it's 98% now of British Columbia, 98% of Quebec are not fluoridated. Ah. Not fluoridated. Canada, about 38% fluoridated. Ontario leads the way of fluoridated provinces at around 71%. But 97% of Europe is not fluoridated. 95% of the rest of the world is not fluoridated. So we are by far in the majority in Calgary right now not being fluoridated. Yet they make it sound like we're just this outlying, you know, we're, we're this, these bad boys and girls that uh, have just taken the safe and effective treatment and said, no, we don't want to do that. So most of the world's not fluoridated. Let's keep it that way. Um, there's almost 5,000 professionals now that have signed on to the Fluoride, Fluoride Action Network FAN, FAN's letter, open letter for professionals. So um, almost 5,000 professionals have had the courage to sign on to that. And I say courage because anybody that comes out anti-fluoride is immediately labeled in the press and in professional organizations as aliens, ten hatters, um, anti-science, pseudoscience. I've been called all those things in the local press and the national press and papers and editions all over Canada over the last 20 years. But um, there's a lot of professionals that, are, that have the courage to stand up. And one of those organizations is the IAONT, which is the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology, which comprises over a thousand dentists and researchers and toxicologists, many from the United States, but some from Canada too. And they have come up with some powerful position papers. The last one was in 2017. IAOMT, definitely worth Googling and looking at that position paper because these are dentists and, and people say, oh, you know, every dentist in the world is for fluoride. Well, the dentists that aren't knowledgeable and haven't studied the issue are pro-fluoride, but those that have studied it and looked at the um, inner workings of fluoride or fluoridation in particular are not. And it makes a lot of money for the dentist. Um, a dentist can make six-figure salary without ever seeing a patient just by sending them to the hygienist for fluoride treatments. Really? Mm, isn't that Other options available, Child Smile Program. Um, we should be following the Scottish Child Smile Program. That is one of the best programs on the planet. And what they did is 2001, they saw that there's a lot of cavities and caries in their kids. And so they developed a program, a pilot, that is now morphed around a lot of parts of Scotland. And so they have now some of the healthiest not only teeth and oral health, but total kid health, because now they teach kids from three years old and up how to brush, how to take care of their mouth, how to drink with their water properly, unfluoridated water, they don't have fluoridation in, in Scotland. And they teach them about diet too. 
So they go home and teach their, their, their parents and then everybody's eating healthy. There's less diabetes. There's less um, cardiac disease. There's, you know, on down the list, less obesity. So uh, Scottish Child Smile Program, very effective. And just a last point I'll throw in here is um, that 99% of fluoridated water is not consumed. So if you came to me as a patient and I gave you 100 pills and I said, Sasha, go home and take one of these pills and throw the rest into the Bow River, you'd go, Dr. Bob, I think I'm going to go find another doctor. <laughs> but that's what happens with water fluoridation. Because 99% of it is used for flushing toilets, watering lawns, washing cars, you know, cooking, whatever, industrial uses. Um, it's not used to, to medicate. It's not used to treat. So you're wasting 99% of your medication. So um, we could probably do a little bit better, a little more effective treatments with our money. Right. So that's my water fluoridation basics. Uh, would you like to get into a PowerPoint now or where would you like to go with this? Sure. Well, I'd love to really get into if you can talk about the, the dangers and the toxicity and what it causes. Is that going to be in that presentation? It is somewhat, yeah. Um, and uh, we could certainly um, embellish on that as we go through the slides, yeah. if you like. Because I would like to... That is Pardon? That is important. That's highly important. important. I think people need to understand why they should vote one way or another when plebiscite comes or if it ever comes up in somebody else's city. I think that's a really important part of it because, I mean, we hear about, you know, we, the, the fluoride in the pineal. We talk about, we know about dental fluorosis and the bones. Like people need to know, why do I not want this? If they're telling me it's safe. Why, why, why can't I believe them? So I think it's important if we can get into some of that. So we can get into that and maybe embellish on, on that if you want to, if we could do it that way, then that's that will work for me. Okay, we could quickly just state right now the organs okay. and systems and effects and then get into it more as we go through the PowerPoint. And sure. you can just go head to toe. You mentioned the pineal gland in the posterior part of the brain uh, that is calcified by, by fluoride and fluoridation. Mm -hmm. And the pineal gland is essentially the seat of the soul and the, the, the it's a very important decision-making and functional portion of our brain. And um, it's calcified by fluoridation. Um, it's, uh, it's neurotoxic. It's now a proven neurotoxin, especially with the five studies that have come out of the University of Toronto and New York University in the last um, three or so years. And, so it, and uh, the NTP report, the National Toxicology Program out of the States, just came out with their final draft last week. And that is showing that it's the highest level of neurotoxicity. So it's a proven neurotoxin equivalent to that of lead. Now, if someone said, yeah, let, let's add some lead to the water because, yeah. you know, it helps with something right. or another. Well, I don't care what it helps for. You're not going to add lead in the water because we know the harms that it does. And we've taken, it's taken us 70 years to get it out, to get the lead out, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So the same thing is happening with fluoride. Um, it's more and more science collecting and it's a neurotoxin. It's now a proven, a shown neurotoxin. It also affects the thyroid gland adversely. It's a thyroid enzyme toxin. Uh, it affects the heart adversely, the kidneys. If you have any sort of kidney disease at all, don't go anywhere near fluoride. It affects the gut microbiome. It makes bones thicker, but more easy to fracture, more mm. fragile. We used to, about 60, 70 years ago as physicians, we used to treat osteoporosis in women with fluoride. And then, because the bones were bigger. And then we found out that they were more fragile. So we quit that really quickly. 
Um, it affects teeth adversely as well. It makes them harder. As the dentist said, it makes them harder. Our teeth, kids' teeth are like butter now that we don't have fluoride in the water. Well, it makes them harder, but it makes them more easier to fracture as we age too. It has no benefit for adults or the elderly uh, and is detrimental to all the different organs and systems that we just talked about. So that's in a nutshell, the bad things what about the What about the a developing fetus? Well, as I said, it crosses the placental barrier. So yeah. um, it, that's primarily where the neurotoxicity comes from. And that's where you get things um, like decreases in IQ from three to nine points, according to the oh. various studies. The higher end is when you're, you're mixing, the, as I mentioned before, the uh, formula with fluoridated water. You can get up to a nine IQ point of loss. That's Canadian figures with Canadian uh, levels of fluoridation and um, Mexican and United States, some in the United States as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, loss of IQ and tripling of ADHD. We don't have enough ADHD, ADD oh. and HD, ADHD in our society. So we got to triple it by putting people on Tripling. Florida. Tripling. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's um, massive. So, so that's shown really good studies by really top-notch Canadian um, researchers and doctors. Okay. Dr. Christine Till out of York University, Dr. Bruce Lanfear out of Simon Fraser, uh, Rivka Green. Excellent, excellent researchers, and uh, but their studies are just being picked apart by the pro-fluoridationists. Well, there's that little thing over there wrong, and that little thing over there might not, you know, maybe. Mm -hmm. So we, we can't listen to those studies. It's a freaking neurotoxin, folks. Let's not put it in our water. It's, I'm surprised they're getting funding for those studies. I'm surprised they haven't had that all their funding pulled. Well, that's one of the problems. And now people are attacking. They've been attacked. Um, they actually went to the president of York University to try to get those uh, studies withdrawn and try to get Christine Till banned from the university. Wow. <laughs> they'll do anything. They'll, they'll stoop to any depths or lengths, unfortunately, to, to um, um, derogate people, to um, use pejorative lingo and language and to vilify them and to demonize them. And to, like Dr. Hardy Lineback, a PhD dentist out of Toronto that used to be head of the preventative dentistry program at the University of Toronto. His, his career was destroyed by the pro-fluoridationists when he actually, in 1998, came out and said, sorry, folks, I've gotten this all wrong. I used to be pro-fluoride, but all the studies I've been doing personally and with my colleagues, it shows that fluoride is not good. It's not very effective and it's very unsafe. Well, they just attacked him for years and years and finally he had to retire early to save his pension. Wow. Wow, crazy. And so originally the fluoride was coming from the, as a byproduct of the aluminum smelting industry. Is that still the case where we're getting it? it it's a toxic, it's a byproduct of it's a hazardous waste, right? Like if we were to not yeah. put it in our water, they couldn't just throw it somewhere, right? It, it's not- No, they're, to do they're not allowed by strict law to put it in the land, in the air, in rivers, lakes, streams, oceans. So the only place they could put it is in like our toxic disposal plant in, um, in Swan Hills. Very expensive to do that. And so instead of spending, let's say $5,000 a ton to dispose of it properly, this highly toxic waste, they sell it to us and they make $1,000 a ton and they get to ship it to us and throw it in our water. And then of course, um, it, it is not taken care of by our water treatment plant, so it goes directly back into our water systems, but they're not allowed to do in the first place by strict law. They, so it's a real end around. They bypass it and it goes there anyways. It's and so it's coming from which industries now? Uh, well, it used to be, as I mentioned, it started with the aluminum industry. And we yeah. probably still get a bit from the aluminum industry, but it's mostly the, the fertilizer industry 
out of Florida. It's huge in Florida. It's hundreds of millions of dollars to the fluoride industry out of Florida. And now, since they can't supply all of it that's needed in North America because they've talked so many cities into fluoridating, they have to get some from China. And believe me, either, well, the stuff out of Florida and the stuff out of China is not filtered. It's not a pharmaceutical grade. It, it comes with all those other toxins and right. um, things that I was mentioning, like uh, arsenic and lead and mercury and strontium and bromine, et cetera. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. Let's move. Let's go to your, your PowerPoint then. So you, are you, you're okay. going to share the screen with us? Yes. Okay. So for some reason, Dr. Bob's screen is not being able to be shared right now. So we're just going to go through his presentation verbally and get some of the talking points out of there and learn a little bit more about why we do not choose to fluoridate our water. Okay, so let me pull that up again. Okay. Can people find this at, at a link or if I can provide something down below in the show notes, I can. I should be able to send you a link, a link to it, I would okay. think. Okay, so we'll get people that we can you can access it there if you want to go through it yourselves people for now we'll just talk about it so um my first slide is is it safe is it effective is it cost effective and is it ethical those are the four biggest questions that we have with water fluoridation is it safe effective cost effective and or ethical um, I have an excellent slide here that shows that the scientific evidence keeps growing and it shows a lot of the newest studies that have come out in the last um, handful of years that I alluded to earlier. Just a, a excellent quality um, and um, just a lot of information coming out despite the fact that the anti-fluoridation is the safe water people get very little funding and very little opportunity to do studies. Most of it goes to either pro-fluoridationists or to other programs. Linda Birnbaum uh, is a PhD from the States who's the retired director of the National Toxicology Program. And uh, her quote is, it, it is time to protect kids developing brains from fluoride. This is the recently retired director of the National Toxicology Program in the United States of America that fluoridates 74% of their water. It's time to protect kids developing brains from fluoride. And she co-wrote an, an op-ed and uh, opinion piece in Environmental Health News in October 7th of, of last year of 2020. And uh, it's an excellent op-ed. It's co-authored with Dr. Christine Till out of York University and Dr. Bruce Lanfear out of uh, Simon Fraser. And a very, very powerful op-ed. Um, the the Seattle pedi pediatrician, who's the editor of the JAMA Pediatrics, JAMA is the Journal of American Medical Association, and it's one of the most prestigious medical journals on the planet. And the editor of that, Dr. Dimitri Christakis, said um, many things. He was just blown away by the quality of evidence against water fluoridation and on neurotoxicity in particular. And he said, quote, an effect that size lowering of IQ which is sizable on par with that of lead. And he also said, I would not want my wife to drink fluoridated water if she were pregnant. Wow, yeah. So as mentioned, um, what we get is fluosilicic acid or hydrofluorosilicic acid, HFSA, which comes out of the phosphate fertilizer industry, hazardous waste, 
contains all those other toxins like lead and arsenic that I mentioned. And even the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency in the States, said that there's no safe levels of lead and arsenic. And they're just about to be made to say in court that there's no safe levels of fluoride. They're being, the EPA is being taken to court by our organization, the Fluoride Action Network, and, uh, and others in the States. Oh, well, that would be pretty powerful. How do you, how do you contest that? How do you, how do you have an argument for fluoridation when there's no safe level? So that you feel is imminent, that will be coming and be declared? It's been going on for four years, this court case. The EPA has tried about six or seven times to have it quashed with various end rounds and various tricks and legal tricks and whatever. And they've failed each time. And so there should be a, um, a ruling coming out sometime mid this year. Um, they, they were last, uh, EPA was last put down um, in January, a month ago. And uh, the, the judge is very impressed with the quality of evidence that's been brought out and the um, people that have testified on the safe water and anti-fluoridation side. Well, that's so the next slide is, uh, is a tube of toothpaste that um, on the back shows um, in small print, of course, keep out of the reach of children under six years of age. If more than used for brushing is accidentally swallowed, get medical help or contact a poison control center right away. So the FDA, the Food and Drug Agency in the States, defines fluoride as a drug. They've admitted that it is a drug and regulates fluoride in toothpaste and pills, but it does not regulate the, this drug, fluoride, in water. So we're medicating patients without informed consent. Mm -hmm. um, I have another slide here from the World Health Organization that shows and that uh, decay uh, trends all around the world, particularly in the, in the Western world. Um, the decay rates from about the 1960s through to the 2000s have all declined markedly in all countries, whether they're fluoridated or not. And so that data from the World Health Organization should be enough to end fluoridation right there. Because it doesn't matter if you're fluoridated or not, your cavities and caries have gone down. Now that data ended at around um, the mid 2000s. And so recently in the last maybe 10 years or so, cavities and caries have actually gone up. They've gone up in Calgary, but they've also gone up in Edmonton that's fluoridated, in Lethbridge that's fluoridated, in Toronto that's fluoridated. So they've gone up regardless of fluoridation or not. So there's other things going on there. And um, my feeling and that of most scientists and researchers are that it's mainly the the power drinks that kids are drinking, the, the, the sugary drinks, the, the, the poor diets, the junk foods, the fried foods, yeah. the fast foods, uh, all those things that, uh, and all those contain fluoride to some extent as well. But it's mainly the, the sugary drinks that kids are drinking. Well, and we know, we know that we can heal. I actually healed a cavity forming on my son's tooth with ozonated olive oil. We there know the fat soluble vitamins. Pardon? Yeah. There's ways to treat. Yeah, there's ways to treat. We know diet will do it. We know there's natural substances that will do it. But I was going to ask, so what do we say to these people? Say, oh, well, the, so you answered my point. When people say, oh, well, look, caries are going up because when we stop fluoridation, but what they're doing is they're excluding the data from the other cities that didn't stop fluoridation and caries are still going up. So that that's yeah. interesting because people will try to, try to correlate that. Here's a case in point, the way the pro-fluoridationists and the dentists work. So um, I won't mention her name, but a very prominent dentist who you've probably heard on the radio and maybe even on TV. Uh, in 2010, when Calgary was still fluoridated, she was on our national radio program, CBC, 
and she said, we have um, an epidemic of pediatric dental caries and cavities in Calgary. And, um, and she said, and then she went on to outline all the reasons that we have those, that epidemic, the poor food, the poor diets, the, the lack of good drinking water, the, you know, on and on, um, the lack of dental care, lack of brushing. And um, she outlaid, outlined pretty much all the reasons why kids have more cavities and caries in 2010 while we were still fluoridated. Then in 2013, two years after we stopped fluoridation, the same dentist came on CBC radio, I don't know if it's the same program, but on CBC national radio and said, we have an epidemic of pediatric dental caries and cavities in Calgary. This is because we stopped water fluoridation in 2011. Wow. Does that make any sense to you? No, not at all. Mm. And of course, she doesn't get challenged on that. No, of course not. No, because CBC is in the pockets of their um, their funders and their um, uh, the people that uh, pay their bills and do their advertising and whatever. And, and government, of course, which government and uh, public health and all are pro-fluoride. So Don't we know it. No in all that. areas, the CBC is... A disgusting mm -hmm. organization in my eyes it's well they do a lot of things wrong they, they do some things right but uh, fluoridation is one thing they've done wrong and they have this tiny little group of about um uh, i don't know eight or ten dentists or whatever that in a basement in this huge massive organization called the cdc with tens of thousands of employees this tiny little group of dentists are rapidly pro-fluoride and so they put out that edict in 1999 just at the turn of the of the century, that water fluoridation is one of the top 10 miracles of the 20th century. Well, that is repeated worldwide virtually every day. Uh, I have another slide here that, that really outlines um, the number of countries not fluoridating and that fluoridation, water fluoridation is one of the most widely rejected practices in the world. So there's 172 countries that don't fluoridate, 24 countries that do, and only 10 countries that fluoridate more than 50% of their population in the entire world. Wow. I have a great picture here, um, a slide of, uh, of a dentist um, with uh, Viceroy cigarettes and uh, Viceroy's filter the smoke. As your dentist, I would recommend Viceroy's. And there's a picture of a dentist holding up his <laughs> And the next, the next slide is a doctor. More doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. So uh, we've been wrong before, is my point there. And uh, we um, uh, are wrong in fluoridation as well, but we won't admit it. We're really tenaciously hanging on to this one. My next slide shows um, government regulations often lag behind the science. So for DDT, for instance, it was introduced in 1939 and banned in 1972. Asbestos was introduced back in the 1800s, 1890, and was banned not till 1973. And it's still used in some parts of the world. Leaded gas was introduced in 1924 and was banned in 1996. DES was introduced in 1940 and banned in 1975. And of course, cigarettes are still being sold and marketed, even um, with some warnings and a little more carefully, but they're, they're still a big part of our ill health in our society. Mm -hmm. One thing that happened in that, uh, in that big... Um, Fluoridation forum that I mentioned uh, with the city of Calgary in October of, of last of 2019 was that one of the um, pediatric emergency docs got up and showed a slide how 
Uh, dental surgeries have increased in Calgary by 700%. And everybody, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. And then she says, and that's been ever since we stopped fluoridation. Well, that is totally false because if you look at this uh, next slide, it's from the Canadian Institute of Health Information. And it shows 603 uh, dental surgeries in 2010 and 2011. And in 2011 to 2016, after we stopped water fluoridation, 495. So the dental surgeries actually went down in the years following markedly. So how, where do they get their data? How did they just make it up? How, like who's they, well, accountable? You can manufacture data, you know that. So they can pull things out of thin air. And that's basically what this woman must have done because she didn't pull it out of any of the Canadian data. <laughs> Very sad. So we talked about the safe and effective alternatives. I have a slide on that, regular brushing, flossing, good dental care, starting early in kids' lives, um, vastly improved diets through education for children and adults. The Scottish Child Smile Program is an excellent model, like I mentioned earlier. And then of course, free dental care for all marginalized and disadvantaged children. And then uh, my last slide is just on what we can do at calls to action for people that are concerned about this. People that I would prefer, they go to safewatercalgary.com, they go to the Fluoride Action Network, which is fluoridealert.org, uh, sorry. Um, and that is in the PowerPoint as well, I believe. And, um, and go to, and take action, like a petition and email your city councillors to turn off the fluoride taps. That's the easiest thing in the world. Like if you look at Monsanto's um, glyphosate uh, roundup, mm -hmm. it's gonna take decades to get that stopped, turned around and out of our systems, out of our water, out of our bodies. Um, whereas with water fluoridation, you can just go uh, uh, and turn off the tap and it's gone tomorrow. Right. It's the easiest thing we can do to make our health better if you're fluoridated, if you're in a fluoridated city like Edmonton, Lethbridge, Red Deer, Grand Prairie, Toronto. Right. You can also educate your friends, your family, your colleagues, and you can do that by becoming more knowledgeable yourself through our websites or through any science that you want to look at. The Fluoride Action Network, FAN, has the, it's the largest repository of fluoride information on the planet. Oh, wow. The planet. That's a, and is that an American website, the Fluoride Action? Yes. Network? Yeah, Florida Action Network. So it's fluoridealert.org is their website. Okay. So you can also volunteer with our groups. We're going to need a lot of volunteers to um, to fight this plebiscite and to get the information and the education out to the public to um, to win this plebiscite in October. So um, you can volunteer with us at Safe Water Calgary. And again, if you just go to safewatercalgary.com, Ooh, I put the, I see I spelled Calgary wrong there. Safewatercalgary.com forward slash action. That gives you all the tools that you need to become a fluoride expert and a fluoride anti-fluoride advocate. And there's a book that I came across that I'd like to read and pick up. It's called The Fluoride Deception. Are you familiar with that book? That is one of the best books that's ever been written on fluoridation. That's by Christopher Bryson. It came out, I believe, in 2003. He did 10 years of journalistic um, sleuthing and studying and um, and putting that book together. And it, it reads like a spy novel um, <laughs> called Deadly that goes on and it's exciting to read, but it's truth, it's fact. And um, yeah, I'd highly recommend The Fluoride Deception by Christopher Bryson. And the other good book that um, is a little more factual, co-authored by my friend, Dr. James Beck, who helped me with the anti-fluoridation program for many years, now retired from it, so I'm the 
I'm the main leader in Calgary. Um, they wrote, uh, along with Dr. Paul Conant, who's a PhD chemist out of New York, and Dr. Meckling, who's a PhD um, environmentalist out of the UK, the three of them wrote uh, the case against fluoride, published in 2010, the case against fluoride. Excellent book, like you can just read a chapter every now and then and, and you become an expert on fluoridation as well. So another thing that I'd like people to do, not just volunteer with us, but if they can't say they can't volunteer, say if you're too busy, you're doing all your things, family and all your action things. If you don't have the time, think of a few people that are kind of activists or maybe they've just retired or maybe they're, they're not working with COVID or, or that they just love taking on causes and send them to me and have, have them um, give them my email and have them talk to me and connect with me personally. And I'll see if they wanna be a, a leader with us in the fluoridation movement. So you might not be able to do it yourself, but if you think of your friends and relatives and colleagues and whatever, but you can come up with three or four or eight or 10 people that might, that might wanna take on a good cause like this. And the nice thing, it's a short-term cause too. It's only a handful of months done by October the 18th. Right, okay. I know Maria Castro worked closely with you before, and I actually had her on the podcast talking mm. about her vaccine injured son, and she's worked closely with you with the last, I think. She still is my executive assistant, so her and I will be ramping up the, um, the okay. petition education um, program here soon. Okay, so, uh, oh, great. Stay, great. Stay tuned. She's a great warrior. <laughs> so you can also... And so another thing you can do to take action is sign that uh, the open letter that I mentioned against fluoridation on the Fluoride Action Network site. And another um, important thing is, is encourage your dentist, your doctor, your lawyer, your therapist, whatever, to learn more, the professionals to learn more about water fluoridation. Because professionals tend to just sort of rotely go along with what their professional organizations tell them to. And that's the problem we have. There's 80 or 90, they say 100 or so professional organizations that back water fluoridation. Well, that list is shrinking. It's getting smaller, slowly and steady, getting smaller. And most of the organizations, half of them don't even know that they're supporting water fluoridation. Their name is just added that list but the more professionals that become knowledgeable about water fluoridation the less likely that these professional organizations that don't do any studies and know very little about water fluoridation the less likely they will be to support it right well hopefully more of them are like you who took that upon themselves as a chat you took it upon yourself as a challenge where these days i find that people that go to their regular doctors, they just feel that they're the experts and to not be questioned. And I feel that there's many that have this attitude of, I know, and who am I? So I, I really applaud your lack of ego in that and actually taking that challenge and learning the facts and you. changing your mind on that because I, I don't know how common that is. It's not very common, unfortunately, and it should be more common. Um, but uh, people that uh, do take a kind of a superficial look at the data generally go to the pro-fluoridation sites and guess what they get there? Well, they get pro-fluoridation manipulated data. And this is a case of, of distorted, twisted, buried, manipulated data, just like Big Sugar did back 40 or 50 years ago when they buried all the science and bought new science and then pressed the pharmaceutical industry to shift away from sugar being the bad boy, which sugar still is. And um, they shifted all that towards fats. And then of course came that implosion or, or explosion of, um, 
of cholesterol drugs like Lipitor and uh, Crestor and the multi, multi-billion dollar industry, the pharmaceutical industry manufactured out of that. That came from the sugar industry trying to whitewash their product. Yeah. And they did, they did a good job of it. And the fluoride industry has done a good job of whitewashing their product too over the last, well, it's 75 years now. There's been good science for over 75 years. Wow. Is there a way that people can remove the fluoride that might be bioaccumulated in their bodies? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, there are ways. Um, but I mean, you, you can collate and there's various things that you can Google to collate heavy metals out of our body, but you don't really have to, because if you stop consuming fluoride, and that is, that, that takes a bit of work because if you're in a fluoridated area, you have to get it out of your water system to start with. You absorb it through your skin as well. You can't boil it away. It concentrates more if you boil it in water and boil some of the water off, you get more concentrated fluoride. Uh, it's in prepackaged and prepared foods a lot. So if you're eating organic foods that are not sprayed with, um, um, fluoronal, I can't recall the exact name of the spray that they use to preserve fruits and vegetables that are produced in California and Mexico, then they have to keep them green and uh, not ripen. So they, they spray them with the sulfonal fluoride um, spray. And uh, so if you eat organic things, it's not sprayed with that. So organic foods, uh, clean and safe water that's either um, uh, reverse osmosis if you're in a fluoridated area. Or, um, or just uh, out of the tap if you're in Calgary is fine, uh, unless you want to remove the chlorine, which chlorine, which is not that good for you neither. Mm -hmm. But even simple things like Brita's can remove the chlor chlorine, uh, but they don't remove fluoride. Fluoride's a very tiny aggressive ion that's very difficult to remove. So how does one get that out? There are special filters that will take the fluoride out, right? But you have to get, is not your regular filters. Does reverse osmosis, Reverse osmosis will take most of it out if you keep your filters changed and up to date, which is an expensive process every year. Um, but it will take out most of the fluoride. And there's a few like the Berkey filters will take most of the fluoride out. But right. again, you have to keep your, your filters up to speed. Right. And, um, but most of the, the common ones like the Brita's will not touch fluoride. Right. And are there, there shower filters that take the fluoride out? There are shower filters too. And again, if you make sure you change them regularly, they will uh, take it out of your showers. But, uh, you know, why don't, why don't we just turn off the fluoride taps instead and then not put oh, it in? Absolutely, for sure. <laughs> That's absolutely. the easiest way. <laughs> Saves money all around if we turn off the fluoride exactly. taps, right? Saves the city money, exactly. saves free money from trying to protect yourself. It's it's ridiculous yeah. that we would even have to think about doing that. It would seem like a no-brainer. And that's why I say we have common sense on our side. Yeah. Common sense. Ooh, I'm waiting for it to prevail in many areas, actually. As they say, common sense is not that common. No, it's not. No, it's not. And lastly, for the like, fluoride displaces iodine in the thyroid, right? Like for people with hypothyroid, that could be a huge problem. So I would think people have, with thyroid conditions should be aware of their iodine intake to maintain healthy levels in the thyroid. Exactly. The latest study I saw showed about 19%, 19% of Canadians have low iodine. And so therefore are very susceptible to fluoride, more susceptible than the average person would be. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I remember dealing, working with a client years ago when I was starting in nutrition consulting, they had a thyroid issue. It was still before the water, the fluoride was taken out of it. And she said something really happened with her fluoride. And I had suggested that to her and she had moved recently from a non-fluoridated area to our city so that made sense 
So, okay. Well, so there's lots that we can do, lots of things. And first of all, first and foremost, I think all of us need to arm ourselves with information. So we're going to put all these links into the notes, the book recommendation, your PowerPoint, if we could get access to that somehow, I can put that in there and click um, link to that. Um, is there any last things? What about fluorosis, dental fluorosis? Is there a way... Can, is that reversible? Ooh, yeah, we didn't touch on that. I, I just mentioned that it's bad for teeth, but dental fluorosis has been skyrocketing in the States because as I mentioned, they're about 74% fluoridated. And so when, it's not just water fluoridation. Water fluoridation is the main part of getting too much fluoride into your body. So fluorosis, damage to the teeth is, is a sign of fluoride toxicity. You're also getting it from all the other things I mentioned too, the, the drinks, the prepared drinks, prepared foods and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, fluorosis is uh, a... It's a mottling or speckling of teeth. And it comes from having too much fluoride when you're either in the placenta or when you're just a very young baby or infant uh, or a young child before five years of age. And, um, and so the vast majority of fluorosis damage, those spots on the teeth are not totally harmful to kids, that they're cosmetic. But you try, try to tell a teenager that has uh, spotted teeth that uh, it's no problem, it's just cosmetic, it's good for you. <laughs> I don't think you're gonna get a very good response from them. But now, uh, as it's becoming more and more common, there's up to 20% of fluorosis is actually moderate to even severe. Severe is maybe three, two to three, 4%. You get severe fluorosis, it tears your teeth apart. It, it just breaks them down, damages them, it turns them brown and black and your teeth are destroyed. That's a very small percentage. But moderate fluorosis, where you have some very obvious specks and spots and damage, uh, is more and more common. Now, some of those can be treated, mild and moderate can be treated with, uh, with um, uh, fluoride sulfadiamine, I believe is the name of it. It's, a, it's something that the dentist can spot onto a, a fluorosis or, uh, or onto a new cavity even to uh, prevent new cavities. They can also uh, scrape off some of the superficial fluorosis, but most often it's, it's permanent damage to the teeth. And so what, what comes to mind for me is that's something you can see. What about what's going on in the bones? What about exactly, the exactly. Yeah. So you can't see it. And so that's why I say that fluorosis is the first visible sign of a body, whole body toxicity. That means that it's, you definitely have too much. Right, absolutely. And, and, and it's, it's up as high as some studies from the CDC, the data from the CDC shows, uh, and from the NHANES popular um, study in the States of all the population, it shows as high as 60% of teenagers now have fluorosis. So mild, That's moderate. a lot. So, huge, yeah. Wow. Wow, so we don't need it. It's not safe. It's expensive. It, it, it causes harm. Yeah, it's, it's not ethical. Not ethical. So, but yet here we are again. And, oh, yeah. and think where, how many actually have it. But when we look at the rest of the world, that's really good stats to have those, those numbers with the different countries and to show that mm -hmm. we are not alone in fighting this fight. So that, that's really good. We're not an outlier. No, absolutely not. So, okay. So anything else? I think that's, that's some really great information to help educate We've covered a lot of bases here, Sasha. Thank you for um, your questions and for uh, quarterbacking this. And um, I think if we can get this information out to a lot of people, uh, it's just going to make a difference. And hopefully we'll get some more volunteers to, to help us with this um, plebiscite educational drive. Uh, actually, I suggested to city councillors, uh, I, I believe that they're still wrestling with what the question will be. Um, 
And probably the question would be something like, do you, do you, are you in favor of reinstating water fluoridation? But I think the question should be, um, are you in favor of uh, adding a known neurotoxin to our public water that can save one half to one cavity a lifetime in kids? And I could also put in there, are you in favor of, of, um, of adding a neurotoxin that is equivalent in toxicity to lead? And saves one half. That's a count. good one. Everybody knows that lead is toxic, right? That yeah. that's a very easy answer. So I, I suggested that be their question, but um, uh, I don't think they're going to go for that. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> well, and if anybody else is dealing this with this in your your city, if you're listening to this from somewhere, I've got people listening from all over the place. You know, check out safewatercalgary.com. Mm -hmm. com and see what you can do get the information out there if you don't have an organization already created to help remove the fluoride out of your water system then see look arm yourself with information and get a get a, a movement going this is what this is the only mm -hmm. other than all we have i mean a ton of pharmaceuticals in our water because people are peeing them out and dumping them and everything else but this is the one that you said it's mandated it's putting it in there that we knowingly are putting in there and we don't get a choice. And it's crazy. Like the, the idea, I mean, to mandate these things, other mandates we're dealing with these days as well, it just carte blanche. It, it, it's crazy to, to do that. So definitely worth it. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to get a group up and running too. And uh, we'll help you at Safe Water Calgary if we can. Florida Action Network is a great support organization for anybody that wants to start a group and get something running like in Edmonton or Lethbridge or wherever. They're a very good resource and a good support. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Well, Dr. Bob, thank you very much. I really appreciate you spending that time with me. It's uh, important work. So thank you for, uh, for what you're doing. Thank you very much for your support, Sasha. Much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure.